Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. It's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. And um, I would like to take a moment to thank my top patrons, um, and they are Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Thank you all so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Um, I smiled. I mean, you can't see me smiling because this is a recording, but I smiled because I've got a patron here on the podcast. I've joined by Philip Barker. Say hi, Philip. Hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. How's it going? It's going great. Um, thank you for coming back for spooky season. I feel like you and a handful of other guests, like if you, you know, you guys have like prime spots on here. So excited to chat about something spooky with you. Um, you've been on the show quite a few times and we've been friends for a long time. But if people haven't heard your voice on the podcast before, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. Well, as Lisa mentioned, my name is Philip Barker. I run a podcast called The Eternal Night, where me and my friend Craig talk about Batman predominantly. I'm also now on the Four Nerds Network, and I've been there for a little over a year or two now, and we just talk a bunch of nerdy stuff. Uh, we just changed our day from Thursday to Wednesday, so every Wednesday we go live at about 4.45 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or 6.45 Central, and of course 7.45 Eastern Time. And then um, starting this upcoming weekend i actually have a youtube channel that i'm starting up that it will be unveiled called uh the dc united show and it's going to be a dc comics centric show where people who love anything related to dc comics batman superman aquaman wonder woman you know you know the drill lisa you know all that stuff but <laughs> yeah. uh yeah yeah it's going to be a, a weekend stream once a week either saturday or sunday i have not quite nailed down what day yet and i think it might just alternate between the two days but i'm not sure that's a really good idea but more or less it's basically a show where people can come together and express their love for anything and anything dc related be it comics movies television you name it nice very exciting stuff i can't wait to i can't wait to watch you're more than welcome to join if you want yeah i probably will that's awesome you know you do you do do cosplay i've seen a couple of your cosplays you've done Batgirl <laughs> quite a, a few bit. times yeah a little bit of a cosplay fan um well philip you know you my guest always picks the movie um so what movie did you choose to talk about today? You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because it, I feel like every time either myself or Scott comes on the show, we feel compelled to like, oh, I want to be next or some, something, yeah. something to that effect. <laughs> That's true. It's like you come in pairs almost. <laughs> it's it's it, it, We, we kind of do sometimes. Yeah. But um, initially, I, I reached out to you in regards to another film, which I think we're going to hold off on till it's a little more later in the holiday season. But since yeah. it is spooky season, I was like, well, Friday the 13th is coming up. 
been mm-hmm. having as of this recording. It's we're about two days after that. But yeah, I chose Friday the 13th, but not part one specifically. I chose part six. Jason lives. Yes. And this came out in 19. Is it 86? I believe 1986. Yeah. I don't have that in my notes. Weirdly enough. That's OK. <laughs> but <laughs> it's yeah, about an hour and 20 minutes. You can find it if you're listening on. um on uh hbo or not well on max (laughs) the name has changed a few times but you can find this and many of the other installments on max maybe all of them i think all of them are on max i didn't i didn't watch it on max i actually bought the digital (laughs) collection they because they were running a um special on voodoo um yeah the the whole one well not the whole thing but one through eight they had a special on for like 14 dollars, and i was like that's like wow two dollars a movie so yeah yeah that's pretty good okay i did not know that well i did watch it on max um i actually i was talking to phil earlier i guess last week and i was a little bit anxious about covering this one because i revealed to him that i haven't seen quite a few of the installments i think i've just seen the first one (laughs) yeah you know it's it's funny because when i had first like really gotten into friday the 13th or even just horror films in general like my favorite one hands down um outside of Friday the 13th, just my favorite horror movie in general is Halloween from John Carpenter. I just right. adore that movie from yeah. start to finish. It's just one of the best slasher films ever made. But when it came to Friday the 13th, I distinctly remember the first time I ever watched any of them. And we, I was about 11 or 12 and my, my parents had just recently split up and we were staying at my dad's house. And we had usually back in the old days, we went to Hollywood video nice. and we had rented a VHS tape of Friday the 13th. But the, the, the problem was we got a bad tape and it would like oh. buffer and it would like not play all the way through. So oh, that was the worst. I was, I was just kind of disappointed. Cause I was like, I've in my spare time, I would get on the, the internet and I'd just, you know, rant, look up random horror icons that, you know, <laughs> friends and family would tell me about, Oh, do you know who Freddy Krueger is? Do you know who Jason Voorhees is? And I was like, what's Jason Voorhees? And people would say the guy with the hockey mask. I was like, no, I don't know who that is. But back in the day, I found this like, fake database and it had you know leatherface it had freddie it had jason it had michael myers it had the all of them, the whole gang and it had them like listed as if they were legitimate serial killers in the real world <laughs> <laughs> it was the coolest thing but the one that really I, I obviously i love michael myers a lot but the next one for me is is jason Voorhees. i was just mm-hmm. thought there's something really chilling and terrifying about this hockey mask wearing machete wielding entity who just go around Camp Crystal Lake slashing teenagers left and right. So when I had first started watching the Friday the 13th movies, I was over at a friend's house. I was a little bit older, maybe 13 or 14. And Mm -hmm. we decided to go over to the local video store here, not a Hollywood video, but like a local mom and pop shop. And they had of the Friday the 13th movies, they only had Jason lives. And I was like, oh, well, that's the one I want to watch the most. And I have been in love with that one ever since it is without question my favorite one of the friday the 13th bunch although i would also say that there is a a, a good solid fun debate to be had about which one is the best i've people i've talked to have said two is their favorite a, a couple other people have said four the final chapter which wasn't the final chapter is their favorite but there's a lot of little fun intricacies that go through the friday the 13th films and it's weird because if you look at a lot of other horror films like Halloween, for example, mm-hmm. that's kind of a pick and choose your own adventure as far as continuity is concerned. 
Um, it's, it, it's not quite the same with Nightmare on Elm Street. That one's also pretty consistent all the way through. But the, the problem, I, well, not problem, but the things that change as the movies go on is they just get progressively more humorous as opposed to more slasher. Yeah. Whereas I think all of the Friday the 13th films up to, I would say, part seven or eight are pr are pretty consistent in terms of slash, in terms of, you know, gratuitous teenagers making love. And you've also <laughs> got, you know, just really campy dialogue and kills. And even part three has like these really awkward, well, not awkward, but really funny 3D shots that you can tell are 3D. But if you're not watching it in 3D, it just looks normal, but goofy yeah. at the same time. But really like part six for me is really like, where things kind of culminate, but also like it also is like I would say the epitome of everything you should have in a Friday the 13th movie. And it also is like the the again, a culmination of sorts when it comes to Jason kind of having an antagonist, a, a protagonist in this case, because mm -hmm. normally, you know, you had Freddy Krueger and you had a Heather Lennonkamp's oh man, what is the character's name? Tracy, I think. I'm probably getting that wrong, but more or less, you know, you have the final girl cake taking mm -hmm. off against the, the slasher entity. Whereas with Friday the 13th, it's like a progression of different final people up until mm -hmm. about part four, because part four introduces the character of Tommy Jarvis, who plays a major role from parts four, five and six. Yeah, I remember you saying I, I asked you, should I rewatch all of them in order to understand this one? And you said if you wanted to stick with a continuity, basically four through six would be a good one because of the Tommy character. Right. So right. that makes sense. Um, well, thank you for that uh, brief overview of kind of like the history and, you know, why. You it's know, pretty long winded. I don't know one. if it was no, brief. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I thought it was, I thought it was really good because the expert here, we need to hear from the expert, which is you. So thank you thank for you. doing that. Um in terms of this specific film, I'm going to read a synopsis, but I want to pause here. You know, so far we haven't really dived into um, spoiler territory unless you count like the fact that Tommy makes it, you know, a few movies. That's all we know about him so far. Sure. <laughs> but um, if you're still listening here, here is the synopsis of the film. So years ago, Tommy Jarvis killed infamous hockey mass murderer Jason Voorhees, and the intensity of the experience has landed him in a mental institution. To end his torment and achieve a level of closure, Tommy escapes from the hospital and heads to the graveyard where Jason is buried, intending to dig up the body and cremate it. But before this total annihilation can occur, a freak electrical accident... Uh, resurrects Jason from the dead and the terror begins anew. Yeah. This, yep. The the opening of this movie is it, it's, it's, it's a differentiation from the previous five because the other five, they start off with the film or rather this was directed by so-and-so or even before that the Paramount logo shows up and then it goes into directed by so-and-so and then it goes into the title card whereas mm -hmm. this one literally picks up right and it just kind of dives right into it you see tommy jarvis you see his friend hawes who's the first death of this movie and i laugh <laughs> every single time hawes dies because like uh poor tom Matthews, yeah poor hawes like the delivery tom matthews goes Hawes. it's just it just cracks me up every single time but you, it, it you get like the rebirth of jason mm-hmm and then it goes into like it it pans in on his eye and you kind of get this almost James Bondian kind of intro to the, the James Bond intro like killed me. I loved yeah. it. Um, the entire concept of it, of him being like, I know I, I paused for a second when I was reading the synopsis because it says 
um, electric electrical accident. And I'm like, mm -hmm. it's it's literally a lightning strike. It's a thunderstorm. Yeah, it's not really an electrical accident. But I love that this idea that like he's so obsessed and he digs him up. And if he just hadn't done that, it wouldn't have. And like, you know, lightning striking is obviously not likely to happen, but it does. And it brings back. It, I just it's so hokey and campy. Like, that is great. And then on top of that, the intro, it just it was great. I, I think it. what also makes it really interesting is that to your point, like Tommy goes to dig him up, burn <laughs> him alive. And like the minute he sees the corpse, he just has all these flashbacks to yeah. when he was a kid and like, you know, all the trauma that Jason caused him. And then he just loses it and takes a, 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 a what is it like a fence post, a metal yeah. fence post. Right. And he treats it like a spear and just proceeds to stab Jason's corpse and then just leaves it there. And then a thunderstorm happens. And then, well, the movie story. the rest is history yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, it, yeah it was great i you know growing up like i mentioned before i didn't watch a lot of these slasher films and i kind of honestly used to have not the best impression of them which i've really come around on in the last few years um it kind of started a little bit with nightmare on elm street because uh nick grew up with those so much and they were so beloved to him so i started watching those but i agree that halloween um you know we've covered scream um, there's so many other great ones and it's like I think it's how you treat the material like more mm -hmm. than what it's about almost and these are just really really fun um, but I was going to read a couple quick facts too that I have I'm sure you have more than I do but um, actually you know you oh, mentioned Scream one, one thing I have in regards to that is like this film is essentially the prototype for how the Scream franchise operates because of the fourth wall breaks, because of some of the cheeseballness to it. Some of the kills even, I would even say kind of influenced it, but yeah, this Friday the 13th part six is, is more or less a prototype to that, that, that commentary on slasher films. Yeah. And to that point, um, one of my facts was that um, Kevin Williamson actually told the director, um, Tom McLaughlin, that this film had a huge influence on him. In helping to inspire that that film scream for sure so you can see that right away it has the same vibe to it and it, it's interesting and it's refreshing so i really like that about it the only other thing i have is and you kind of talked about recurring characters already but aside from alice who has a minor role in the second film as well as a, as well as a starring role the first tommy jarvis is the only recurring protagonist in the series even though he's played by like three different actors. That's correct. Three different actors. Corey Feldman played him in part mm -hmm. four, which honestly, it was either that or Lost Boys the first time I saw Corey Feldman in a movie. Oh, really? It might have even been Stand By Me. Yeah, for me, I think it was probably Stand By Me or The Goonies. Um, oh, yeah. You know what? It was The Goonies because my brother used to watch that on repeat. So it was probably The Goonies for me. Yeah, so, and it was only because of the age I was at. I mean, I was like the prime age for the Corys, really, you know, him and Corey yeah. Haim. So. And John Shepard played the role in Part 5, A New Beginning, which that one's a whole weird movie on unto itself because it, really? it's not, yeah, it's not even really Jason is the killer. You find out at the end of the movie that it's actually a, a, an imposter, a, a doppelganger killer play, oh, playing as Jason. And then when Part 6 rolled around, John Shepard was asked if he wanted to come back and he actually declined to do the role. And that's how Tom mm. Matthews landed the role. And then Tom Matthews watched part five and he was like, do I really want to do this? And Tom McLaughlin <laughs> to, to his credit was like, no, 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 no. We're doing something a little something different. different. 
Yeah. And that's why Tom Matthews ultimately reprised the role. And he's also reprised the role even recently in um, the, the fan films, Never Hike Alone, Never Hike in the Snow, and Never Hike Alone 2, which I actually just watched Never Hike Alone 2 yesterday. It was pretty good for a fan film. Nice. I mean, when you think about it, like fan films, horror is a good place for fan films to be because horror usually is done by like a, you know, a lot of directors, it could be like their first project, lower budget, you know, that's right. a good place to start. So I could see that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, like I've said before, I don't know a ton about this world um, or some of the actors in it really. So this is, or, and director. So this was directed, we already said by Tommy McLaughlin. Side note, I think it's interesting and just a coincidence that like, the director's name is Tommy. The main character's name is Tommy, and the actor's name is Tom. Like, there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of Toms in this. Anyway. A lot of Toms in this, and <laughs> it's even funnier because, like you mentioned, number of actors. The amount of actors who have played Jason is mm. absolutely astronomical. Really? So, so that's oh. different from some of the other, you know, yes. big name slashers. Well, I think the only other one who has been played by a different actor, I think you could probably say, I, I would say is Leatherface. I think he's the mm. only other other slasher character who's been played by a couple different actors over the years. But in part six, Jason is played by CJ Graham. Um, Jason actually appears as the killer for the first time in part two, played by both Stephen Dash and Warren Warrington Gillette. In part three, it's Richard Brooker. In part four, it's Jason White. Uh, like I said, in part five, there's a copycat killer played by Tom Morga. Part seven and eight, actually. Oh, sorry. Part seven, eight, Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X are all played by Kane Hodder. And then in Friday, Freddy versus Jason, it's Ken Kersinger. And then, then the reboot is Derek Mears, who everyone might know as Swamp Thing from the DC Universe short-lived series. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Matter of fact, like when Derek Mears got announced as playing Swamp Thing, I was like, oh, the guy who played Jason in the reboot of Friday the 13th. And people were like, what? Like, yeah, he's Jason. That's interesting. Good, good I wonder I wonder role. why he got recast so often. Um, you know, I'm honestly not too sure why that was the case. I feel like, you know, it probably had something to do with different director for each movie wanted to bring something yeah. different even though they're the producers on on a lot of them are largely the same uh for Kuso jr i think might have had something to do with that but th there are some other interesting details in regards to this film like for example there's a road in it called cunningham road a nod mm -hmm. to sean cunningham who directed the very first friday the 13th film and i think he remained on as a producer for quite some time after that for a few of them oh wow and man i don't even want to address the whole right situation because that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> what? Okay, so the reason why there has not been another Friday the 13th movie oh, since, okay. the right. since, two, yeah. since 2009 is because Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller, Cunningham being the original director of the first film and Victor Miller who wrote the first film, like they got into a legal battle over mm -hmm. you know ownership and basically it came down to, uh, I believe Victor Miller now owns the rights to Friday the 13th the film but the thing okay. is since um i believe it's brian fuller is doing he's going to do a camp crystal lake television show since it's on television practically everything's fair game but if they wanted if they being whoever owns the rights to the films at this point i don't even know if it would be paramount warner brothers new line i don't even know at this point but if, whoever if they wanted to make a new film they would have to get the green light from victor miller and also that would also entail them only being able to use pamela Voorhees as the killer wow 
wild, right? So Pamela is the mother, right? Right. That is okay. Jason, so the, the original mom, killer, right? Right, right? right. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because when it comes to like, I have a ranking of the Friday the 13th films. That first one's actually not very high on my list. Like it's, it's fine, but it's kind of a riff on Halloween, more or less. It's the, the only thing I think about it that has its novelty is like, it's a whodunit. And then you find out, oh, it's, it's the mom who was the cook from all those years ago. And her kid was the one who drowned. Ah, yeah. surprise. Hard to believe, I guess, because you can tell that there's a big tall man in the suit. But <laughs> other than that, you know. Yeah, but like, you know, the series kind of goes through this really weird progression with Jason. Like in part two, he has the burlap sack on his head. Then in part three, he finally mm. dons the iconic hockey mask. And then part four, he gains his protagonist in the form of Tommy Jarvis. And that goes all the right. way to part six. And then part seven is where things kind of start to get a little really <laughs> goofy and campy. And then there's yeah. part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. A large criticism of that one is like, you know, oh, well, he only he's only in Manhattan for 10 minutes because the entirety of all the slashings happen on a boat. And then part nine, Jason goes to hell is Man, I have, I have I have not watched that one in such a long time. I'm not even sure I want to revisit it because it's basically Jason taking over other people's bodies and it's just all sorts of weird. That's but no. strange. It's very I don't strange. think I realized that he or forgot about that he doesn't have a hockey mask in the first one. I don't think I realized that. Right, right, because he's not the killer in the first one. It's his mom doing all the killings. That's right. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, he he doesn't get the mask until part three. And like I mentioned, like, it, it's funny because you can tell that there's a different actor behind the mask every single time. Mm. And, and they even kind of like morph his makeup or morph his face to look slightly different in each film, too. But then again, oh, that's really? also, yeah, it's probably also due to the fact that um, in part four, uh, Tommy actually makes it a point to like slash up his face at the very end. Like it, it's, it's kind of a play on each film ends in a slow-mo kill where in part one, it ends with Annie cutting off Pamela Voorhees' head. In mm -hmm. part two, it's the same deal. I believe it's, oh man, I don't even remember the, the final girl's name in that, but she's also get, she also gets a, a final slow-mo kill. Um, part three ends with another slow-mo kill, but then also part four ends with Tommy delivering the slow-mo kill. And you, also, you hear Corey Feldman just shout, die, repeatedly. <laughs> nice. Well, that's a good recap, too, because I was about to ask you that. I was going to be like, what happened leading up to this? But that's a pretty good recap. And I guess I should just add, like, part five is, um, you know, it's the copycat killer. It's not Jason. It's actually a sh it's an uh, EMT. Oh, man. To get through part to get to part six, you kind of have to talk about part four and five and part five. Yeah, that's fine. No, please. Like like part five. Uh, Tommy winds up in a halfway house with a bunch of other kids, you know, teenagers who are also kind of like they, they're dealing with some mental illness and trauma. The beginning of the movie opens up with one kid killing another kid. That kid's dad winds up being an EMT. And after witnessing that killing, he takes it upon himself to slaughter all those teenagers as Jason Voorhees. And then at the end of the movie, you find out, oh, snap, it's actually this guy. It wasn't actually Jason at all. How did then, fans react to that? That's the thing. So the movie ultimately ends with Tommy recovering in the hospital from his wounds, but he's so messed up from what he just witnessed. He actually takes it upon himself to close the door as one of the other um, matrons who was watching the house that the halfway house is in with the doctor. She comes in to like be like, Tommy, are you OK? The door shuts. Tommy's wearing the Jason mask and he's holding a mm -hmm. knife like he's going to kill her. 
people did not like that at all. So then even the studio and people who made the movie were like, yeah, we kind of need to rectify this and we're going to do a little something different with part six. So that's why in part six, Tommy is it's it's really weird how that timeline works out, too, because part four takes place in 1984. Part five came out in 1985, but it takes place in 1989. They do a five year time jump. So that's why you justify having Tommy weird. Yeah, right. That's how you have Tommy B go from like age 12 to 17. And then apparently in part six, he's 18, even though Tom Matthews looks absolutely nothing like John Shepard. He looks a little older. Yeah, he looks older. But that's also because I feel like in the 80s and 90s, like. I always say this, like, I think that this whole theory about, like, people that used to look older than they do now, I feel like it's because people had different, in different stages of life, they dress dramatically different, and we don't do that anymore. Like, I'm wearing an outfit right now that I would have worn as a teenager. I'm wearing, like, leggings and a t-shirt. But, like, I feel like back in the day, it was, like, when you hit different, like, milestones, you would literally dress completely different, and I feel like that aged you a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I, think, it, I don't know. I think in terms of the portrayal of Tommy, they do keep a lot of continuity between four and five, like Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. it, the Corey Feldman incarnation, the, that younger version of Tommy, he's into making masks and he's into like, he's into horror movies like he likes and he makes his own masks that mm-hmm. carries through to part five. But mm-hmm. by the time you get to part six, it's almost non-existent. But I think the plot kind of justifies it because ultimately Tommy's just out just finish jason once and for all so there really isn't like kind of a need there to have his you know his obsession with masks so the timeline okay just to to rewind just a bit in the fifth one he's 17 so in in this one he's 18 so it's literally just picking up right where the last one ended correct okay okay i wonder about that yeah because again i think i mentioned earlier like they wanted shepherd to reprise the role and Mm -hmm. he ultimately decided not to and that's when they decided to go with tom matthews Mm mm-hmm Okay, okay. Which makes sense. And you can kind of tell, like, as somebody coming in, um, the way that it picks up, it it feels like it's at the tail end of another movie. Yeah. So, and and then um, I do think they do a good job when he sees Jason and he has, like, traumatic flashbacks. You're kind of like, okay, now I know what's going on, even if I haven't watched the other ones. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that tracks. It makes sense. And again, you know, they I think keeping the continuity of the character is pretty important. It's almost like, you know, how you have to transition from Michael Keaton to Val Kilmer. Right. More or less, because those movies are technically Batman Forever is supposed to technically be a sequel to Batman Returns. But Mm -hmm. again, back in the day, people didn't really care much about recasting. Yeah, they didn't. I agree. Now it's like such a big deal. Oh, my gosh. It is the biggest of deals these days. I mean, look at star wars <laughs> yeah i mean i also feel like we learn so much more about the actors now and we get attached to them and their brand and i think that's part of what makes it so hard when people are recast is like well now i'm not just attached to the character and that actor is the character i'm attached to like that person almost right. and so it's right. like but back in the day yeah i was like okay well Let's and especially because this isn't like a super serious you know, it's not it, it's not a very serious story. Like it's a fun story. Like some of these slasher films, like part of why they're so enjoyable is because there is like a level of fun with the kills and with the setting. And you know, it's it's basically pure nostalgia at this point. You know, the yeah. setting of like a camp and, and everything. It's just it's fun. Not only that, I think it's also important to keep in mind like the, the Friday the thirteenth films up until you know part actually the majority of them were made 
literally less than $10 million each budget. They were wow. somewhere in between 1 million to 2 million for at least each film. I know I, I want to say part six was made on a budget of like 2.2 million and it made 19, 20 million at the box office, which, you know, back in 1980, 1886, that's gangbusters as far as the studio is concerned. So yeah, go yeah. ahead and make another one for that same price tag. And we'll, mm -hmm. you know, even if we make a little less, we'll be fine. Right. And that was kind um, of the thought process going behind the majority of them, more or less. Can I, can I ask you a random personal question? Not that sure. personal, but related sure. to the film. Did you go to camp growing up? Not summer camp, not any kind of late camp like that. I did go to soccer camp. Okay. And even I, then, that, yeah. was, that was just like in town and I'd get picked up every day. But yeah, no, I never went to camp as a kid. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I went on a couple like retreats, but they were like religious retreats with schools mm -hmm. And they weren't as fun. And somehow one of my parents was always there. <laughs> they like um, never let me out of their sight. So they were always like chaperoning somehow or involved. So I never got to have like that authentic camp experience. But I will say too, as a, as a kid, for some reason, I didn't crave it like as much. I think the, the early mornings and, and, you know, all the activities, it didn't appeal to me that much as a kid. I was just curious if, if you went through that. The closest thing that I think, I could say was in seventh grade, we went on a trip to Westminster woods, the redwoods in here in California. Nice. And that was like a, a whole week. But my, my trip actually had to get cut short because I wound up getting really sick and my mom and my oh, grandpa no. had to come get me. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and my grandfather had to come get me, but yeah, I slept in a cabin with like four other kids and, you know, a chaperone parent. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. I was just interested to see like, you know, is part of why you like this. Maybe it reminds you of your childhood, but it sounds like it's more just the movie itself. It's more so the movie itself. It's more so to do with like the slasher icons, because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, the it's really funny. Cinematic universes are spawned from horror franchises and scary movies. Back in the day, the very first oh, cinematic universe was from the monsters, the monsters of Universal. Yeah, absolutely. And then to like take it a step further to bring it to modern times, this was also Jason being one of the big ones. Him and Freddy. That was like the first biggest crossover I can remember as a, as a young kid. Like, oh, crap, Freddy versus Jason. That was one of the other first films I remember watching as a a, t a, a young kid turning into a teenager. I guess yeah. the best way I could say that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think Jason is probably the one I know the least about. And probably Freddy's the one I know the most about. But I think over time, like, I realized how, you know, when I was a kid, like, these characters were very, very scary to me because I didn't have a lot of exposure to them. So I was just like... I mean, it was like horrifying, even just seeing the character was frightening. And now it's like, I view them, those characters so differently, almost like they're like, like they're fun, like they're Marvel characters or something like, almost, yeah. it's so uh. different now. And I remember like a few years ago, um, I worked at a job where we did like a little, um, every team would pick like a different theme. And the team I was on, we picked like uh, movie serial killers and I was freddie and somebody was jason and somebody else was michael it was really good and like everyone took their roles very seriously we made a little haunted house like it was just really fun so you know what's really funny is like i don't find freddie to be that scary now. no he's like, more like fun <laughs> yeah definitely and even back then when i was growing up i was like yeah freddie's fun he's not scary he's fun but Jason and Michael Myers, I think, are the two that uh, growing up, I was probably the, the most terrified of in terms of a, a realistic perspective. Like, yes, if, if any one of them were to come alive, 
I'd probably have fun with Freddy Krueger, mm -hmm. but if Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers came my way, I'd probably duck and run. Yeah, I I like Jason's story because unlike Freddy, it's almost justifiable, like his motives. Yeah. And oh, yeah. he has, we'll probably talk about it in this movie, but he has like his own set of rules. He seems to have a code of ethics. Yes. <laughs> so that makes him different too. And honestly, I think if, he, if he's like, if you look at Jason, he's like essentially the keeper of Camp Crystal Lake and he clearly does not like teenagers doing things in his camp, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a theme, um, which comes up a lot in horror movies. Um, but yeah, that, that's true. Also, it's like you'd think after a while people would just stop going to this camp, but doesn't seem like anyone in the town ever thinks of that. You know, it's funny is like the, the, this movie actually makes it a point to touch on that in that yeah. the, sh the sheriff is even like, yo, we renamed this town Evergreen because we want people to forget about Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah. So I, I've always found that part of it very interesting, too. And it's yeah. even funnier because the sheriff in this movie uh, played by uh, David Kagan, he was mm -hmm. on Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. He I haven't plays... seen a lot of Enterprise. Yeah, uh, I, I actually had to look this up because I was like, I feel like I've seen this guy somewhere else before. And sure enough, it was Star Trek Enterprise. He plays a character called Major Clev, K-L-E-V. Mm, nice. Well, I feel like we've talked around this movie a lot, but did you want to talk about... I know you, you, you mentioned to me one of your favorite things about this movie is it has really good kills. So do you want to talk about some of those or like some specific scenes? Uh, you know, it's funny because as we mentioned, like there's there's a lot of kind of wall breaking and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll point this out. One of the deaths that I find absolutely hilarious is the the funeral, the the cemetery care caretaker. Yes. Right? Like when when you see him, he's drinking a bottle of whiskey or something, and he's like, "This is going to be the death of me." And then when he runs into Jason, <laughs> what does Jason do? He breaks the bottle and stabs the guy in the neck with it. And it's like, there you go. There's there there's go. one I love. Um, this without question, this has like one of my favorite teenage intercourse death scenes. Weirdly it is enough. wild like it is like borderline graphic when they're doing it like you're you're like i was like oh my gosh um but it was really funny and they're like blaring rock music and they're yeah. like in this camper oh it's i love i love that scene so much because in the, in the past films obviously there's always a couple out there itching to get it on in the woods mm -hmm. or even on camp crystal lake grounds and it's not necessarily as graphic in as it is in this film and that's and that's probably why i like it not because they're getting it on but because like it, it i feel like tom mclaughlin really took it made it a point to like kind of elevate this film in in certain respects like i think yeah. this film has like without question the best soundtrack the best opening lick to the soundtrack or the the movie itself like dun, 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 dun. i just feel like it's very elevated in that term but more specifically to, to speaking to that scene the 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 kid who dies court mm -hmm. he's getting it on with this girl and they're you know to your point like they're they're just blaring this music and she's like oh you're the best you got to keep it up for the rest of the song and he's like how much longer and she goes oh it's only 10 more minutes and the, the, <laughs> the, look, song. the, the look on his face is just like oh he's great. like oh um hmm. <laughs> and then jason pulls the power on him and then well things culminate yeah yeah that, yeah that that was kind of funny but i do like that that court takes it upon himself to like drive the camper out of there and he's like driving like a bat out of hell and they're playing the song teenage frankenstein and 
Jason's in the in the bathroom and he takes her out first and then like Court's just driving just thinking nothing of it and then he finally turns around and sees Jason and Jason just takes a knife and just puts it in his head and you just see Court's head just and it just crashes the the camper oh it's so beautiful there's a lot of fun like scenes like that or explosions or really good buildups I think another good one is um that that couple later in the movie that um they almost run into Jason and then They're very beginning of the movie oh, yeah, beginning, yeah sorry yeah and <laughs> and then um like the the uh the guy's like oh i'm gonna get out and talk to him or i'm gonna go deal with him and she's like that's like how people die like she like is the audience going like you can't do this because this is literally going to kill you and then it does happen and then she's screaming i love when she's like screaming in the water and then she's looking around like oh she's okay and then she's killed it's like right just a really fun sequence like there's Not, a lot of really good ones like that there's that but also she another like wall break moment is like she says outright i've seen enough horror movies to know a guy in a mask is a serial killer or something to that oh, effect yeah you're right you're right you're just right basically that. that's good. making just making the point of like okay there's a guy in a mask and we're in a dark road in the middle of nowhere yeah, this like, is not going to end well Right. Yeah. She's like the right. voice of reason. Um another part that I thought was really funny and like it almost feels like okay, this movie to me felt like at times it was taking a break and doing like little bits, mm -hmm. like little vignettes almost. So to me, the scene with like the uh the corporate people, the the salesmen or whatever in the woods, I loved that part too. Cause that it, it again, it felt a little almost like let's take a break from this and do this, but it was like let's put Jason in like really interesting and funny and fun like situations. I mean, he's still scary, don't get me wrong. He's a great villain, but like let's let's have some fun with it in terms of the setting. And so that one I really liked. I like that scene because that's also how Jason gets his machete. Oh yeah, for, for this movie because he gets it from that 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 really aggravated corporate exec who's like super mad at the fact that you know he they're because they're playing a paintball game in the middle of the woods, right? And it, it actually, even the, like when the when when we open up on the two corporate gentlemen and they're having a conversation, and one of the guys goes, "You know, you can be a real ass sometimes," and he's and the other guy goes, "Yeah, well, it's better than being all ass." And it's like it's dated jokes because obviously jokes like that were they were funnier back then. And obviously we can't make jokes like that anymore, but the guy holding the machete, the other corporate gentleman, he's super mad. The fact that he was, the game ended and he was, you know, shot dead from yeah. paintball terms, like by a woman. And he's making all these like really crass evil things. He's like saying stupid broad should have stayed in the, should have stayed in the kitchen. It's like, Ooh, Ooh, no one would ever say that these days. No, but man, the way he dies, hmm, really yeah. lost an arm there. It felt like, it almost felt like they had to like it's the 80s and that was definitely like the 80s version of feminism was very focused on like the corporate environment so like yep. that came into it and it's like i think it was kind of like when somebody goes on and on like this like you just want them to shut up and so like him getting killed by jason was just like poetic justice yes <laughs> yes a little bit it was really that was pretty funny but and yeah then, i like, like all those those kinds of moments in this movie and then like even the three of them after they get after the other two gentlemen I mentioned earlier get shot by the, the, the same corporate lady who they're all kind of angry at. Yeah. <laughs> I just still find that funny that that, that that's such an 80s thing, you know, to, a like, very to 80s point. thing. Yeah. And then like Jason just jumps down from a tree. I don't know how he got up there, but hey, he, <laughs> don't worry about he, that. He did it and he comes down and he chops all their heads off. And then the last guy, this little meek guy with glasses is like, oh, shit. 
and then shoots him with a paintball. And then and the way Jason just like looks down and looks back up and proceeds to go after this guy. So funny to me. Just there's so many other moments too. Like when Jason actually goes back to Camp Crystal Lake, he does that kind of like that head tilt that dogs do when they're confused because he's like evergreen. What? He's like, that's not going to keep me out of here. <laughs> right? <laughs> like little moments like that, I, I actually find very endearing as far as Jason is concerned. I also like when the teenagers, uh, they're like, they make a joke that's almost like, um, that like the kids are worse than dealing with Jason. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, actually I just thinking that, that same thing. Like, because the, <laughs> the, 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 I guess you could call her the final girl who's introduced mm -hmm. in this, this movie, Megan, you know, she's going over the legend of Jason Voorhees to her other camp counselors that are not that are still there and then she goes you know what's worse than that and then she points out the window and the bus full of kids comes and then the door opens and the lady goes your problem now <laughs> super super funny to me and then like another one i just thought of too was like there's a point after tommy gets to the cemetery as he's being escorted out by the sheriff and his deputy oh man his deputy's so funny too in this movie um, there's a point where the caretaker completely denies burying over Jason's body and he goes, what do you guys think I'm a fart head? And then it cuts to the kids going, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fart head comment even felt, I don't know. It just felt like perfect eighties, like dialogue in these kinds of movies. Again, it's like, they're scary. The character is intimidating, but you got to have some fun in there too, to kind of break it up a little bit. So I really, and honestly, it. I kind of miss that about horror movies. There's not yeah. a lot of that anymore. It's always just straight up pure horror. Very no funny. Artsy. Yeah. Yep. I mean, oh, I loved Malignant probably because it was so goofy. Like, I but think... still had some good, in my opinion, genuinely, genuinely frightening moments. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think honestly, if anyone's doing it like the 80s, it's probably James Wan. Agreed. And yeah. I kind of need to revisit that one, Malignant. Yeah, it's been a long... I haven't seen that since, like, last Halloween. Maybe even two years ago, yeah. There's so many to rewatch every year. Well, I mean, even looking at, you know, like, the Saw franchise, that's probably the closest to, yeah. you know, 80s horror, but with a lot of funny little moments sprinkled throughout, because I, I catch myself laughing at some of those really gratuitous kills, because it's just so ridiculous. Right. Well, that kind of comes with the territory of a uh, Tobin Bell, but mm -hmm. back to Jason. Yeah, I, I, I really do. Also, something I noticed in this, Jason loves just snapping necks. <laughs> it's his thing, man. It's yeah. his, it's it, if he's not going to use his machete, he's either going to find something else close to him, like a knife, or he's just going to snap your neck, or even like do the sheriff in and just completely bend him backwards and break his whole body. And he's got rules too, right? Like. I noticed there was a scene where he um he comes into contact with a kid but doesn't do anything. So he like only kills teenagers, yeah. I guess. Yeah, he, and he only kills like teenagers and adults, yeah. But I mean, obviously the kids are still frightened by him because well, zombified man people. with a mask. Right, right. There's a funny moment to me when the the police are like, Okay, well, we don't want to wake up the kids. We want to sneak around and look for Jason and not wake up the kids. I'm like, I think might be a good idea to wake them up. Get him out of there. <laughs> yeah. And then at that point, even the sheriff's just like, yeah, let's get these kids out of here. You'll yeah. stay in this cabin. Put your they heads under their bed. Just yeah. They don't need to stay asleep. And yeah, it was, I thought that was kind of funny. That was. Yeah. I also did like 
again, I mentioned earlier the 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 uh, the deputy sheriff Coloni, yeah. or rather deputy Coloni. He's got some of the funniest line deliveries in this <laughs> film. Like when he first meets Tommy, or like when they're at the cemetery, and the sheriff goes, "Oh, you made my deputy pull out his revolver, and he's been itching to try his new sightseer." And oh then, yeah. And then he goes, "Wherever the red dot goes, you bang," and it's like <laughs> that should that, that is so corny. Yet every time, I laugh. That it's is just funny. Little little stuff like that in this movie just cracks me up. A lot of good little moments for sure. Actually, one that actually just came to mind. I have it here on my notes. Um, there is a very deliberate and poignant shot during the car chase as Megan and Tommy are trying to escape and evade the police. When Megan tells Tommy to get down, and he puts his head down promptly, and then the camera shows a very personal point on a woman's body that it's very obvious <laughs> that they do that for these films and it's like yeah i shouldn't be laughing at this but i am <laughs> yeah definitely um a fourth wall breaking moment 100 percent, 100 percent, which i just find hilarious and even yeah. like bringing that kind of stuff into a, a, like you look at scream i think the scream franchise as a whole like they they do that they, they the, the whole all the movies are predicated on that and i don't think you get that without this movie. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I was thinking about that movie while I was watching this before I even read that fact. So it was definitely pretty clear for sure. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like tempted to talk about the ending scene, but I don't want to get like ahead of ourselves either. Well, you know, the ending is, is it, it is, it's important because in every movie, obviously there's like a, a Jason death, but mm -hmm. that death, comes with like a more da more damage to him that you see progress throughout the rest of the movies and this one um you see you see D jason die at the hands of like this this motor this boat motor and that's actually following that if you watch part seven eight and i would even say uh jason goes to hell the final friday that's the result the end result from that is like having his mask cut and you actually see some of his jawline following oh, this film from okay. that like that's leading into that like um the 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 cut on the top side that is from part th three or four it's it's one or the other i don't remember what actually i think it's part three yeah that sounds about right part three and i think even tommy adds more to it in part four so i might be mixing my stuff up there a little bit but yeah each movie you see the mask get progressively more destroyed oh interesting i didn't know that i just like the whole entire setup like um, you know, Tommy's on the lake. Um, he sets fire to the lake. He's got this big rock. He's got this chain. Like, it's a really fun thing. And then towards the end, like, you know, he's wrestling with Jason a lot. And then um, he drowns in air quotes. And then his girlfriend goes out there and she's actually the one that delivers like the final, final blow right. with the propeller, which is just like a fun way. So you said in all the movies, he like gets decapitated somehow. Like that's usually how you kill him or not necessarily decapitation, but each movie you just kind of watch the mask progressively get more decayed okay, okay. and destroyed. And, and on top of his body too, because um, in part four, all you see at the end of that film is just young Tommy just hacking away at his head and then part that would five mess has, anybody up yeah exactly part five is the copycat killer so it's not jason so when they get to part six tommy has to like convince himself like i i need to end this i need to just make sure this this is this is the end of it because mm -hmm. in part five there's actually talk of the the old sheriff 
at that point with uh, the mayor and he's <clears throat> the mayor says, you know, Jason's body was cremated like we we destroyed it. And then the sheriff goes, are you sure about that? Mm-hmm. It's 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 very murky of whether or not it was destroyed. And it turns out not to be the case. I mean, that could also be due to, you know, just making it up as they go along as far as writing the films goes. But, you know, for the, for the sake of part six in the continuity there, they, they show that Jason's body was in fact buried. And so Tommy makes it a point to like, I'm going to burn it. I'm going to do the thing the sheriff said he was going to do. I'm going to end this once and for all. And then obviously his, that was the entire comeuppance of all of that. It's, it's his own demon coming back of his own doing. Mm, okay. That makes sense. Um, there was one other thing that I think that, that gets a lot of people confused too. So in Jason goes to hell, the final Friday, there is actually an evil dead reference with the, the same book of the dead that is used oh, really? in evil dead. Yeah. So that in turn makes Jason a bit of a deadite by part nine, but a lot of people <laughs> confuse that with this film because of the fact he's just brought back to life. Oh, yes, but it's different because it's not involving that book. Right. It's just lightning. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Albeit, you know, bad t- bad luck, I guess. On the hey, It's Friday 13th, bad luck, you know. That's, um, another, that's, that's another thing. They, they actually make it a point to have every of the movies fall on a Friday the 13th. Nice. Yeah, makes sense. It's part of the part of the mystique for sure. Um, so are we going to talk about the almost ending of this movie, like the alternate ending, or have you read about that? No, this is news to me. Okay. I saw a article on Collider that the director originally wanted to have as part of the ending that like Jason was dead and that, um, and somehow make, I think the graveyard character instead of just like a regular graveyard dude and, and maybe not even have him die or have you think he died, but then he comes back at the end and have him be, Jason Voorhees' dad, Elias Voorhees. Oh, I think and, I yeah, the article that I saw a long while ago. It, it literally didn't it, happen at all. Like to the point of they ended up. Um, it, it's there are only storyboards I think that exist of it. But yeah, I saw that when I was kind of like poking around. Um, and that would have been kind of crazy. Yeah, because I don't think they've ever really established who the father of Jason Voorhees ever was. So that would have been a bit of an interesting twist on that. Yeah, I'm trying to find the article again after I say Hmm. that. I read it like right before we started recording. I'll have to find it again. But it basically the article was saying that the person that wrote it at least didn't like that idea because and I kind of agree. It's like it might humanize Jason a little too much. And I think there's some benefit to him being like a big scary presence that, I mean, we know who he is, what he started as, but it feels like by this point, he's something else. And I think making the dad, you know, the character after that, I mean, first of all, there's problems with that. I feel like is then he'll be like really old and like less scary, <laughs> but yeah, that's something that I had read. Yeah. You know, that, that you mentioned it. I do remember seeing something about that a while ago but i forgot that that had been a thing for this film so thank you for bringing that up i that's that's something that actually went over my head i remember reading about it in passing a long time ago but yeah. oh yeah it's from collider it's like uh friday the 13th oh no wait 
or or maybe it was for a different maybe i got confused and it was for a different no i'm pretty sure it's for this movie because it sounded like the end of this movie but anyway hopefully i'm right about that if not i apologize i think you might be right about that but yeah um what else about this movie um you know i think that this is without again i mentioned earlier this was without question my favorite one um I do like a lot of the kills and I think honestly, just this film in general, I, I, I love it for a number of different reasons. Again, I mentioned the score, the score to this movie is like, I was doing my rewatch and this movie in particular, like as I'm watching all of them, this, this one has the music that just stands out the most to me, as I mentioned earlier, um, the way the intro has the swelling Jason theme. I really mm -hmm. love the way that the intro uses, utilizes that. Um, and also how it also influences some of his kills and the way he moves. And even just thinking about that too, like just the way that Jason moves in this movie, specifically mm -hmm. like when he's walking through the forest brush and he's going after those people we mentioned earlier that are on that, that corporate executive game, like mm -hmm. just the way he moves. I also really like in this film too. Yeah. There are, there are just a lot of really small intricacies about Jason in this one that I like the most. And I honestly, I think that's again, due to Tom McLaughlin's just, awareness of wanting to do something a little bit different with this one i see i'm looking at a picture of jason and i see that gash at the top that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. cool. yeah there's that one and again i mentioned earlier um by the end of this film after he gets his it's either his neck or like his face it's one or the other gets gashed and cut by the boat motor and you see like chips of the mask like break off and as as the you see the blood rise too um mm -hmm. i also just really like the whole relationship between tommy and megan in this <laughs> film because tommy the in the other two movies tommy wasn't really i i wouldn't say interested but that that was just something that never really crossed his mind because obviously in part four he's a young kid and then the event with jason there kind of traumatized him from that and then we would get to part five he's just very very like traumatized by this whole ordeal and he he cannot stop seeing jason and it just messes with him so much yeah. and then by the time he gets to part six he's like no I, i'm gonna finish this and i need to do it alone but i don't think i think the the unexpected ally in in the sheriff's daughter nonetheless that's another thing i don't think we've even mentioned is that the final girl in this is in fact the sheriff's daughter and oh, i would yeah. also say the sheriff is just a real ass in this movie yeah he is just, just just a real jerk to tommy he's like whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute you're that kid who's been locked up in a couple different insane asylums and you're coming back here to like dredge up jason nonsense no 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 i'm not he, he how to say this nicely he's basically like a climate change denier or like uh <laughs> you know someone who ignores facts i think is the best way i can say that He's, he's like the mayor in Jaws or something. It's just like, doesn't want anybody to get all upset, but when there's clearly like a very obvious problem. Right. Yeah. It's, that's a, that's a perfect, that's actually a really perfect comparison right there is, is the mayor from Jaws, man. I should yeah. actually watch, make it a point to watch Jaws at some point in October Jaws too. Jaws is great. Yeah. It's been a while since I've watched Jaws, but yeah, you're right. I think the sheriff does kind of embody that, that willful, ignorant character until yes. the very end when he's brought face to face with this entity like oh oh i was wrong it's a little but too he, late 
he does kind of go out like a like a savior. He does go out wanting to save his daughter, and I I I find that admirable. Gotta respect that. Yeah, came around. He did. He did. Yeah, and also this might be a little too personal, but he caught the the sheriff in this movie played by. David Kagan. There we go. He kind of looks like my uncle, my late uncle Todd. So that might Aww. that might that might be why I actually like this one a lot. Because I Aww, look at the that's sheriff. A nice connection. Yeah, I look at the sheriff and I'm like, you know, you kind of look like my uncle. <laughs> you go out like a hero, but you're kind of a jerk throughout the majority of this movie. <laughs> but yeah, um, I would also say, like, like I was mentioning earlier, like the whole relationship between Tommy and Megan. It's it's very escalating in that you, you see them meet she sees him behind bars and her and her dad's just like no don't talk to him he's he's a lunatic kid like you know keep away go go back to the camp where you're not supposed to be because there's a serial killer on the loose but yeah i'm giving you the okay to go there and like she's even playful with him and it's like oh don't beat him up too daddy he's kind of cute like you get you you get it very instant like oh okay they're probably gonna wind yeah. up making out at some point through this movie and sure enough they do yeah in, in their relationship, like you said, in real life, I don't know that it would be so intense, but I don't know. When there's a lot of, you know, peril, people get closer, so maybe. I don't know. Possible, yeah. yeah. You know, in my mind, Friday the 13th Part 6 is like, that's where it kind of ends for me. Like, I can watch Part 7 and be like, yeah, okay. Then I can watch Part 8 and be like, mm-hmm. And then I watch... Jason goes to hell the final Friday. I'm like, no. And then Jason X is just a really fun, bad time in a good way, weirdly enough. But I think for me, my continuity with this film just, or the, rather the series just kind of ends with six. Like, I, I feel like, you know, Jason's at the bottom of the lake. Maybe Tommy and Megan wind up together and, you know, they, you know, in a happy life cottage somewhere. And Jason never comes back, but well, he does, but I, I feel though what you're to what you're saying, like when I looked around online, I think a lot of people really resonated with this film um, and, and kind of feel the same way about the continuity. I agree completely. I think a lot of people look at the, just the whole like they look mm -hmm. at. I think that's why people really do appreciate this series of films so much is because despite that there are some. I wouldn't say inconsistencies, but there are just some differences from movie to movie, be it, you know, a different actor playing Jason or the fact that, you know, Tommy Jarvis is played by three different people. It's almost like kind of a John Connor thing, but even still like the consistency in terms of continuity, in terms of the story of Jason Voorhees and how he keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and just slaughtering teenagers left and right who come to Camp Crystal Lake. I think that's really what the draw is for this whole, for this franchise as a whole. But again, I think for just this movie in general, I think it again, I mentioned it has like some of the best kills. It's shot really well. I feel like it's paced really well, too. There's like a, a real sense of escalation in terms of like how Jason goes from being resurrected to winding back up at the bottom of Camp Crystal Lake, too. Like, I, I just mm -hmm. feel like there's just a really strong sense of if you were to ask me, like, which film do you think embodies the spirit of Friday the 13th the most? It's probably this one. Hmm. And I guess that kind of leads into a couple of questions I have for you that I always ask. Um, if you had to summarize why why this movie, I think you kind of did already, but I guess in like a sentence. In, in a sentence, why I like this movie so much. To me, this is peak Jason Voorhees slasher violence at its core. And I feel like if you're going to watch 
if if you're getting into horror and you want to understand why some where some modern films take their inspiration, I would absolutely recommend this one as a as a must watch. Yeah, I think even like what you mentioned at the top about it really leading into the Scream franchise, you know, maybe younger listeners might be more into Scream, uh, especially lately. And so this could lead them back to this movie. It's it's funny you mentioned that because Scream was actually one of the first horror films I ever watched. Like my love for films, you could date back to about age five or six because I were, I watched Batman Forever in the movie theater way back when, but that's a, that's a completely different conversation. But my love for horror really begins with two movies, and that is uh, Terminator and the first Scream. Like I watched both of those at age six, and I wasn't like oh scared. Like I didn't have a blanket over my eyes. Like I was I wasn't afraid. I was just like drawn in. Yeah, yeah, just made you an Insta fan. How yeah. do you advertise this to someone who maybe hasn't seen this movie before? I would say if you're looking to get into the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, treat it like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. In that, if you watched Star Wars from A New Hope and then went back to the prequel trilogy and then went forward to the sequel trilogy, I would absolutely say you could do the same exact thing here with Friday the Thirteenth. I would say yeah. start at part six or even part four, and then go back and do a full, you know, one through at this point twelve rewatch. Wow, interesting. Okay. I'll have to consider that, especially since I can watch all of them on Max, like I said, yeah. if you have a subscription. I'm not getting paid, by the way, to say that. <laughs> I'd actually be very curious to see which one you'd walk away liking the most. Yeah, I need to I need to find out the answer to that question. Well, uh, Phil, thank you again for coming on. Uh, before you go, is there anything else that you want to plug or recap? Um, you know, I mentioned up top at the beginning of the show, if anyone wants to follow me, uh, well, I didn't even mention this, but if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram threads, blue sky, or even the X app, you can follow me just at unfiltered. And like I said earlier, you know, I host the eternal night podcast, which you can find on practically every podcast catcher, uh, imaginable. So that's Apple podcast, Spotify, you know, you name it iHeartRadio, I think too. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then also, um, I have a new YouTube channel up and coming uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, we're going to be doing a first stream for DC United and Four Nerds every Wednesday. But yeah, thank you again for having me on, Lisa. It's always great getting to chat with you about any movie whatsoever. Same, right back at you. Thank you again for coming and hope to have you back soon. <laughs>